This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Don't forget that when you look at the big shopping apps and uh, those guys, sometimes it's hard for them to move from desktop to mobile. And that's where I would say that brands that will capitalize on the mobile side will have a big advantage over the traditional brands that are still not there. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by StoreMaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I am excited to kick off our very first on-site podcast interview. This is a big deal. Um, Thank you, COVID, for subsiding at least long enough for us to get this done. Um, But I want to welcome Dora, who's here from uh, the Iron Source Aura team. Dora, you want to say a few words about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Nice to meet you, everyone. My name is uh, Dora Isorov. been with uh, Iron Source for uh, almost uh, seven years. Out of that, since uh, 2017, based out of Berlin, uh, growing our European uh, activity. And I have the pleasure of coming here to sunny Tel Aviv from time to time. And uh, luckily now the sun is out, so I'm happy to be here. Amazing. Okay, so I want to talk about something maybe a little different than what we've done until now. Um, You know, we've been talking a lot about different user acquisition channels, how that works in a world where we're privacy-centric and focus-first and Aura actually offers kind of a very different look into UA. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure, sure. So let's uh, jump in directly directly into IronSource Aura. Uh, just to give you some, some context, uh, IronSource uh, builds a business for, for apps, for monetization and user acquisition. The IronSource Aura side is our focus on uh, telcos and OEMs. Um, it's kind of our uh, little sister of uh, Sonic, which is not so little anymore. I think uh, over 300 employees at uh, Aura. Uh, and what we do is specialize on what we call on-device. What is it on-device? On-device is directly being uh, featured, the, the apps or you know the, the content, directly on the device itself. And when I say on the device, it could be any Samsung device, it could be any carrier Android device. And there we specialize in promoting the apps in different experiences uh, during the lifetime of the device. It could be from the unboxing of the device when a user opens it up for the first time. And it could be during um, the, the, the lifetime of the device, such as a device uh, update or push notification and many more features and touch points that we are introducing along the way. So where does, how does that flow work? You know, when are you introducing, when does it make sense to introduce uh, promotion into the user's journey when they're actually on the device and not kind of browsing through social media or something like that? So it's funny enough, imagine you, you're going into an electronic shop, uh, let's say um, you're originally from the US, so let's say going into a T-Mobile shop and buying the latest uh, Samsung S22. You're all excited about your new phone and probably you want to check out the camera and um, you know the different features that uh, it has to offer you. We believe that this is actually a great time for you to also discover new apps and stand above the noise and see exactly what you need with uh, with your new phone. It could be the latest uh, shopping app, it could be the latest uh, news app, and 
this is actually a great moment for you to be introduced to those apps and get um, and get to see and check them uh, check them out. So talk to me a bit about how you approach strategy for on-device advertising versus a more typical UA campaign. So first of all, we believe that um, when marketeers are going out there and they're looking for uh, for UA channels, definitely the traditional, the, the Facebook, the Snapchat, the TikTok, uh, the Google are definitely a good channel, viable channel. Um, what's interesting enough is when you want to increase your awareness and get more incremental uh, users, it's where you should be looking at, uh, at on-device. Why is on-device important? Because at the end of the day, let's say that you are a shopping app and you are uh, promoting your app on Facebook or Snapchat or LinkedIn, you're relying on the fact that those users are actually, that your users are actually using those third-party platforms so they can discover your app on those platforms. You know, do you set KPIs based on, you know, what what elements can you do to prevent that scenario of just a one-time download? Let's say they see the prompt, they download right away, and then they forget it ever happened. So first of all, let's take a step back. A common uh, misconception about uh, on-device that it's uh, preloads. Yes, uh, one of the touch points that we offer during um, the unboxing of the device is what we call smart preload. But that's only one touch point out of many touch points that we have with the users. Essentially, our most, uh, our I would say, strongest touch point is the unboxing experience where the users actually opt in and choose which apps they want to install. And obviously, if there is more user intent, more likely we will see engagement uh, down the road. That's one thing just want to clarify. Um, moreover, what we do is that we're interacting with the users, not only about installing the app, but also um, we're sending push notifications to the users to let them know that they have the app on the device and they should check it out. With Auto, for example, we did a big campaign around Black Friday where the user installed the app. And if we saw that he wasn't interacting with it, we would send a push notification saying, hey, there is this amazing Black Friday deal. Check it out on Auto. And we actually were able to convert more and more users to open the app and, and use it. So what kind of KPIs are you looking at when it comes to on-device um, advertising? Is it the same, you would say, as as standard traditional UA, or do you have different KPIs? So the KPIs in, in the sense of uh, the targets themselves, if it's, um, you know, return on ad spend, the ROI, CPA goal, they're all the same. Uh, we have the same integrations with the MMPs. We look at those data. The big difference is that we look at longer-term value. We look at uh, day 30, day 60, day 90, and so on and so forth. The reason why we look at long-term is because, let's go back to the T-Mobile example. You bought the new device. You are very excited about it. You go through the onboarding experience. You discover, I don't know, five new apps to try. You will install them, but most likely you will not start opening them right away and start using them. Imagine you bought a $1,000 device and you install booking.com via our experience. Most likely, um, you wouldn't open the booking app and immediately uh, make a purchase, as opposed to if you were uh, looking for a hotel online and you would, you know, search, click on a Google search ad, you would end the funnel end to end probably in 10, 15 minutes. Here we see that the user ends the funnel sometimes at 14 days, 21 days, 30 days, and so on. And it's very important to understand that this is normal behavior and we can expect it. So when measuring KPIs, we look at later days and, and that's where we actually show our, our real value. Interesting. How much of the how much of this do you really create um, like customized strategies for? You know, is it user comes to Aura and just says, you know, get me this ROI and call it a day? Do you have um, customers who create really, you know, do you see customers who can create better strategic plans and create better investments based on how they're engaging? So that's a great question. 
or specifically because of this complexity, is a fully managed service. So we have a team of account managers and performance managers um, based in Tel Aviv, San Francisco, and we are expanding. And at the end of the day, when we have a new advertisers, we have to build a custom strategy for, for each one of them. We have to look at their uh, immediate goals, the long-term goals, and also, more importantly, what is the current competition landscape um, on our platform? Because as said, we will recommend on the unboxing experience three to five apps, and they're all competing against each other. So um, it's very important to, before we launch a test, to actually build this strategy. And, and, that's, uh, and that's unique to, to Aura, I would say. Interesting. And I mean, let's look at what you think would be kind of the the dream breakdown between, you know, if I'm a, I'm an app developer, I'm coming in, I have X budget at my disposal, I have various UA channels that happen higher up in the funnel, and then I have on-device advertising. What kind of breakdown are we looking at? I mean, how long-term do you do the on-device? How actively are you focusing there? Does it stay the same over the life cycle of the app? Hey. That's a, a great question because you have to ask yourself um, which audience you're you're going after. Um, I'll take uh, Glovo, for example, a uh, leading food delivery app in uh, Southern Europe based out of uh, uh, Barcelona. Luckily enough, I was just there last week visiting them. When they came to us uh, and they wanted to expand their, uh, their uh, growth, they were looking on how to get incremental users. So they were getting the younger, the younger audience during the pandemic uh, for food delivery. You know, they were... It was amazing results. Uh, all the food day apps uh, were flourishing and Glovo was one of them. But the problem that they had is that when they looked at the older uh, age groups, they couldn't really reach them via the traditional channels. They couldn't reach them via TikTok and Snapchat and, um, and um, Facebook, for example. And they came to us and asked us to help them to reach those users. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you are a, an older generation or younger generation, you're using your phone. So if you go on device directly, you're able to reach them. And, and this is a classical example of how to get incremental users from Aura. That's super interesting. I mean, we talk about older users, I think, have become a newer challenge in a lot of ways. Um, in the last few years, you know, we know that smartphone dependency has increased a lot. We saw in the kind of uh, early days of the pandemic, all of a sudden there was a flood of this kind of older market who were coming into apps that they had never interacted with before because, you know, this was a new outlet into the world and one that maybe traditionally hadn't been seen as that that dependent. So that's super interesting, kind of this idea of reaching an, an audience that you couldn't properly or easily access before. Um, you know, just just to give me a bit of an understanding about how, how do you know that you've actually hit your goals with a specific demographic? I mean, how granular can you go when it comes to understanding the level of audience that you brought in and, you know, if it's time to pivot to a new growth chart or if you stay in the same area? So first of all, uh, it's always good. I've been working with uh, UA managers for the last seven years, and I think it's always good to diversify and have as many channels as possible. I think a, a recent uh, research that uh, Singular released showed that UA managers that use more than six channels actually are able to decrease their average uh, CPIs as opposed to using three or four channels. Um, and, and that's why I think that I wouldn't say how to allocate the budget, but most of the times, the more the merrier. What we're able to do with uh, Aura is through our uh, deep integrations with uh, the likes of AppsFlyer, Adjust, uh, Kuchava, and so on, is track everything from A to Z. We're fully transparent. 
So, I mean, let's talk for a minute about the difference between apps and games, because obviously I think, you know, we see it kind of across advertising, the goals that you have, the types of users you're bringing in, the way that you're creating a strategy differs between these two. How do you see the difference between an app and on-device uh, advertising versus gaming? It's true that the, that the gaming ecosystem is uh, much more developed than the regular apps or what we call, let's say, iron source uh, apps beyond games. And... Um, definitely the competition uh, landscape in the gaming is much more fierce. But I think that leaves an opportunity for the apps to start catching up and, and bringing all those expertise from the gaming side to the apps uh, ecosystem. Now, it's not a secret when you look at the, at the marketeer uh, job uh, landscape, most of them are moving from one company to another. And what we've seen, at least what I've seen in Europe in the last couple of years, is a lot of UA managers and CMOs and marketeers moving from the gaming ecosystem and starting to build a business for, for apps. And that's very interesting because uh, we see that, uh, for example, let's take the, the news uh, ecosystem. The news is uh, also pandemic has been good to them. This uh, ecosystem has flourished over the last couple of years from news aggregators like uh, Smart News, for example, and to traditional uh, traditional newspapers going online. So, for example, we work closely with uh, La Figaro in uh, France and La Gazeta in Italy. And, you know, for them, all of a sudden, there is a whole new world to explore inside mobile. You've been in the industry for a long enough time that I feel like I can ask this. Do you have any predictions? I mean, I feel like we're in the middle of a real shift in how, you know, you mentioned also you have people moving from the world of gaming and bringing that kind of innovation and that kind of skill into the world of apps. What do you think we're going to see over the next couple of years in the world of user acquisition and mobile? So I think uh, companies, um, and, and I'm going to relate it to your question before, I think companies uh, that are becoming more and more mobile first are going to have a real advantage. We've seen it, uh, and when I say mobile first, not only for specific generations. Uh, we spoke earlier about older generations. My grandmother, she uses uh, Instagram, she uses uh, Walt for food delivery. Uh, she uses uh, Babel here in Tel Aviv to get now around. I want to meet your grandmother. Uh, what, sorry? I want to meet your grandmother now. That's so, uh, impressive. So you can follow her on Instagram, yeah. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, the main reason why she uses those apps is the accessibility and um, how easy it is to use it. And I think apps that will, uh, businesses that will understand that going mobile and investing in mobile will have a real advantage of getting more and more audience and users using it. Have you had any major surprises, campaigns that you thought would be amazing and bombed completely, things you didn't think would work and completely revolutionized how you look at, uh, at strategy? I think that um, we had um, different kinds of, uh, of uh, experiences over the years. There were some very big brands that um, I was surprised to learn that they didn't invest in the mobile app like they invested in the brand itself. And we started working with them and unfortunately it ended up in a disaster not sure i don't obviously i don't want to blame them uh, only there is always the, the blame on both sides but it's kind of a problem when you don't invest equally between the brand and the mobile app itself because users the attention spend that users have nowadays if they go into an app and it crashes or they go into an app and the sign up flow and the sign up funnel is not easy enough most likely you will have um, a high amount of churn, and it's going to be very difficult to get those users back. So my tip, first of all, is don't don't neglect the mobile app. Uh, 
for a gaming uh, audience that listen to us, you know, <laughs> probably what I'm saying is like, okay, what is this dude talking about? <laughs> but don't forget that when you look at the big uh, shopping apps and, and uh, those guys, sometimes it's hard for them to move from desktop to mobile. And that's where I would say that um, uh, brands that we will that will capitalize on, on the mobile side will have a big advantage over the traditional brands that are still not there. Yeah, I think there's definitely, even sometimes you see it in the world of gaming when you've had really strong success in web or in offline and you kind of, you know, you're having a lot of the same users come in. So you assume, you know, this is my user. He knows me. He knows this flow. I can... I can keep the same thing on mobile. And we find that even a user who's loyal to your brand, if you're not giving them the right, ex- you know, we've seen it in games that are transitioning cross-platform and trying to get their web users or their console users onto a mobile app. There is a discomfort if you haven't thought about the usage and the device itself and how users are coming in and the context they're coming in and trying just to kind of create that one unified, this is how it goes. So I, I definitely agree. Do you think there's anyone who, any company or app that on-device targeting isn't right for them? When you look at uh, the niche apps, the very, very niche apps, I think that uh, those um, in general, they have a hard time doing user acquisition, right? So I think the niche apps should be looking at um, more targeted approaches um, and that's less uh, less uh, of a fit for the on-device. Usually on-device is for the mass, for the public. Uh, so I would say niche apps usually are more of a challenge to us. Saying that... Um, we are able to offer some sort of a, a solution for them as well, but it's more of a challenge. How do you tie in or is there a tie in between organic users and, and maybe events that are happening outside of the world of direct UA and on device targeting? I think we are very affected by the seasonality. So first of all, when you look at um, Christmas time, so we have uh, always a, um, a big uh, guessing game of the amount of users that we will see on uh, December 24th and 25th. Um, just to give you the, the for for the sake of the numbers, Aura is already incorporated in over one billion devices, so uh, it's already quite big. And for us, there is uh, some uh, some days specifically that we see more users opening the, the 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 new devices, going through the unboxing experience, and obviously installing more and more apps. So it's very important to get ready for as an advertiser, as a marketeer, it's always very important to get ready for those coming days. Do you find that there's, you know, kind of a very different behavior between different regions, meaning, of course, different messaging is going to work in different regions. And that whole concept of localization is something we see, you know, every channel that you're trying to grow. But do you find that the actual behavior of the user when they're, you know, kind of approaching an app and and how you have to strategize to reach users in different areas? Is that something that you feel is more consistent across the board or you have to create a completely different strategy region by region? Not only that you have to split uh, each region by region, you always, uh, on, when you look at on device, you also need to look at the specific uh, channels that you have in each country. Why am I saying that? Uh, when you look at Germany, which is my bread and butter, a Vodafone user is definitely not um, the same user as one of the MVNOs uh, out there. So also when you look, uh, let's take uh, Italy, for example, where we work with uh, three partners, work with uh, Vodafone, uh, Wintre, both of them are carriers, and then Samsung uh, directly. And each one of those users that are coming from those channels, even if it would be the same device, let's take the, the Samsung A52, coming from each one of those will be a different user. Interesting. In what sort of way? Like, can you share any examples of, of how you see those differences coming through? Sure. So nowadays, when a user goes and buys a device via the carrier, 
Most likely he has a, um, a credit card. He needs to set up an account. Um, he has monthly recurring uh, billing. So most likely it's more a high-end user, I would say, as opposed to a user that goes into an electronic shops, buy the device one time and that's it. Maybe he even bought it in cash. So it doesn't have Google uh, Pay or something like that. So this is just the second example. Interesting. So that whole, I mean, it's both a demographic difference and a, and a process difference. The way they're setting up their phone is different and who they are and what they've, you know, their intention. And I, I assume there's, you know, tie-ins between specific types of people and how they choose to buy their devices. So you have kind of two isolating factors that create major differences there. We had, uh, I think, a uh, couple of years ago, Samsung released uh, their M-Series in India. And we've been working with Samsung in India for a long time. And, and one of the things that they told us is that this uh, specific series is more on the premium high end and you can only buy it via the website. So all of a sudden, you know, when you look at India, the population there is huge, right? And the Samsung sells them, um, again, don't quote me on the numbers, but millions of devices. And then all of a sudden you can only buy it online. So it reduces the, the demographics tremendously. And this is important to note because when you, you actually get to this user, he will be very different from all the rest. So also you have the device difference. I mean, how new the device is, how recently it was purchased, I assume that makes a massive difference in how you're creating strategy for your users. Correct, correct. We've been working with a lot of uh, fintech apps recently, um, obviously uh, with the fintech uh, boom and the neobanks, by the way, very, very interesting subject. Um, all those uh, uh, mobile-only banks that are, uh, you see them a lot in Europe. And for them, for example, the device model is critical because they see from the high-end models and uh, the newer models significantly better uh, performance at the end of the day. So tell me now, I'm an app developer. You've sold me. I'm ready to start on device advertising. How do I begin? What does that, that process look like? How should I plan? How do I start? So essentially to set up a campaign, uh, on on Aura or any other um, on-device channel, I think first of all we have to set the expectations. So if you if you go to this point in the podcast, you already understood that Aura is very different and unique. So looking at the KPIs, it's important to look uh, and set beforehand the KPIs that we want to look at. Um, day one, day three, day five, less relevant. Let's look at day 14, 21, day 30, and even day 60. That's first of all. Second of all, I ask you, I beg you for, a, a, you know, give us some time, um, allow us to really understand and get the data flowing in the pipes before we reach any conclusions. So essentially what we like to do is to start a campaign with a low daily cap, start getting users in, starting to get the data, measure the engagement, and only later on starting to make conclusions and understand where we want to go. So you have a learning stage, basically, where yes. you're trying to get the understanding of this app and the behavior that's happening. And only from there, you create a strategy. After. Correct, correct. So you shouldn't plan on going nuts the first day that you kind of go live and, and conquering the world. It's much more a pause, learn, than, than create the next Patience. Step. I would say patience is the key here. And you should expect uh, at least 30 days as the learning phase for, for, uh, for the test. So how long do you keep a typical campaign live? Uh, let's say one that's pretty effective. Most of our campaigns, so the stickiness, Aura is very sticky in two senses of way. First of all, as a user. So if you were to install an app, we see via Aura, we will see that you will stick around for quite a lot of time. And also for advertisers on the platform, they stick quite a lot. Most of our advertisers that have been running with Aura have been running on for years. If it works, it's a really viable channel for them. And we see them uh, sticking around for 
Uh, we have some advertisers, I would say, four or five years that are running with us. So it seems like it's it's less uh, less hands on, let's say, than a more you know kind of the UA that we think about that you have to be in every day, kind of optimizing and iterating and creative changes and everything like that. This seems a little bit more. Um, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. Say. Yeah, yeah, you have less less uh, on the finger on the pulse at all times. I think the fact is that um, as said, Aura is a managed service, so you already have the eyes of the of the Aura team, the Iron Source team in Tel Aviv on the campaigns, looking, measuring, and we are always introducing more and more tools um, to optimize those campaigns and getting increase the scale and looking at the ROAS. So um, we do a lot of the heavy lifting for the advertiser. Nice. Okay, you ready for the rapid fire round? Let's do it. Okay, what is your favorite mobile growth uh, resource? Apps Flyer uh, report, I think, is one of the most uh, interesting ones that I really like reading. You can give one piece of advice to somebody who's uh, looking to start out in mobile growth. What would that advice be? Diversify as much as possible. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. All right, pandemic is waning for now, at least. You get to take one person in the entire industry out for lunch. Who are you taking? Probably Zuckerberg. <laughs> Asking him, is the metaverse real? Is it going to stick around? Are you doing lunch face-to-face or are you doing it in the metaverse? Ah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. NFTs, meta, interesting where, it, where we will be in two or three years from now. All right. We're going to do something a little bit differently. Normally, at this point, I ask you what your favorite flavor of pancake is. But since you're on site... I think it's more effective to do a taste test. Okay. So here we go. Let's find out what we have. All right. There's a lot of pancake here. Wow. Um, okay. You guys are gonna have to, go, you know, go go hard. Oh. All right. Traditional maple syrup. Uh, this mm. first one, I believe, is a white chocolate blueberry. So give it a give some forks here. Can I invite James as well? Please or? invite James. We've had James <laughs> silently uh, lurking on the side. Okay. All right, ready? White chocolate blueberry. Give us a give us a taste. It's a problem to come to Tel Aviv where the food is so good. <laughs> you just keep eating and eating. Okay. Initial thoughts. It's nice. Really good. It's making me feel a lot more American already. That's my goal. This is why I brought you guys here. All right. I don't know what this is. There's some kind of like caramel or dolce de leche, I would say. Wow. By the way, you know that they have uh, Benedict's now in Berlin. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benedict's is like the the one real American diner chain in Israel. It's open all night. It's got real, you know, pancakes and bacon. You can't find a lot of bacon in Israel, but you can at Benedict's. <laughs> All right, and finally, now see this seems a little anticlimactic. We should have started with this, but the traditional, the traditional pancake with uh, with maple syrup. Wow! And after this, you have to rank your favorite. I think I have a sugar rush. <laughs> I think the dolce de leche is the number one for me. And then I would go for the white chocolate one. James. The maple and the regular one. I would I would do for James. The white chocolate was good. But I'm a big fan of regular. Regular. regular wow. Yeah. Okay, so there you have it. Um, Dora, tell us if people want to learn more, where can they find you? Where can they, they get um, Go on our website, our blog, um, case studies that we did. We have uh, a lot there. And then in case they're interesting, they can just reach out uh, via the website. We'd love to help them. Amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me for our first ever on-site. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. 
And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.